Okay. So, I'm going to start by telling you a little story this morning. Um, when I was in year six at school, I don't know if you, some of you are going to have to really work hard to get there, like myself, but for other, others of us, it's a bit closer. Um, I experienced the first time bullying. And um, what happened was basically I was in a group, it's quite a small school, and my best friend turned. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but she decided I was out. Um, And this for me was my first experience of being out of a group, of being the outsider, of being rejected. It was, you know, I'd had fairly nice childhood, so it was the first moment that I thought, you know, people can be pretty, pretty horrible. And it was a really short amount of time for me, but I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. It can feel like it is going on forever. And I can remember, I just wanted to run. I wanted to hide. I didn't want to go to school. It was horrendous. And it was the first time that I started to think, you know, what's wrong with me? You know, am I okay? Why am I not likable? What do I need to make them accept me? And of course, if you've been in that situation where being bullied, you know, actually... (laughs) there's probably nothing you're going to do to make them accept you because they've just maybe not been very nice people at that moment. How about you? About those moments, you've probably got your own. I've never met anyone, to be honest, who hasn't experienced this because human beings love to divide off, whether it's about what football team you support or where you live, whether you're in Portsmouth or Southampton, whether it's about countries that don't like each other. We all kind of fragment off. And we see that at secondary school when we go into the kind of, well, that's my group and that's your group. And we see all these groups splintering off. We might, in that experience, feel rejection We feel isolation. We feel like we've been pushed aside. And as we read today's story, we we meet a woman who knows something about rejection, something about perhaps wondering, what's wrong with me? Am I enough? Why have I been rejected? And we're going to meet her today, and hopefully we're going to learn something. As we look into the story, which would have been her testimony, remember, When John was writing this, he would have gathered testimonies from people about what Jesus said to her and about how he treated her. So we're going to find that. And if we we engage today, we might find something about how God views us as well. So we're going to read chapter 4, 1066. It's actually the only date I think I remember from history at school. But there we go. And I'm going to start in verse 4. So you can follow along if you want to, or you can just listen. Have I got anything? It hasn't appeared. I don't know why. Hopefully it will. So verse 4. Now he, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. They're explaining it there why he can't get water. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. 
How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Okay, so here is the scene, okay? So we want you to enter into the scene. Here it is, Jacob's well, and we've got Jesus, and we've got this woman. And the first thing the writer wants you to note, see, look, I knew this wouldn't work. Aha, there we go. Um, We have a Samaritan woman and a Jewish man. Now, the first thing you need to understand, if you don't know anything about that, is that there had been a war between these two people groups for about 500 years. Okay, so they are absolute enemies of each other. About a hundred years-ish ago, the Jewish side stormed into the Samaritan side and destroyed their most sacred place, the temple, their version of the temple. They completely destroyed it. Now that is going to mightily create some divisions, And not very long ago, the Samaritans have rebelled. They have stormed in and gone to the Jewish temple. They haven't destroyed it, but they strewed bones all over the place, which defiled it, which made it uninhabitable. It's it's considered unclean, and they can't celebrate a really important celebration they want to do. So you can see how you've got this kind of 500 years of feuding and this kind of tit for tat, which has escalated into this massive sort of war between them. They're not literally picking up guns, but they hate each other. The second thing we notice is that Jesus goes through this place. The Jews hated them so much that uh, they would go around that place. Even if it took them a couple of days extra walk, they would walk around just to avoid going in there because they are so, the people are just so horrible and they've so kind of said, oh, we just don't like them at all. They have nothing to do with us. They're the worst of the worst that they would avoid it. But Jesus walks straight in and that gives us something about him right from the start. He's certainly not racist in any way. He's gone straight on. The third thing I want you to notice is that it's a woman and a man. And the writer writes Samaritan woman and Samaritan and Jewish man because he wants to highlight these two things, men and women. Because in the culture, men and women wouldn't speak to each other. Here's another division we find, not only between people groups, but between the sexes. Um, A Jewish man would never, ever speak to a woman. And even his wife, it was advised that he would not speak to her too much, lest she lead him into sin. Yeah, you're giggling. (laughs) So you can see the dividing that coming up here. The third thing we want you to notice, or the fourth or something, is that it's noon. It's the middle of the day. Now, if you imagine you're going to go and draw water, I mean, we don't have to, but imagine yourself there now. It's quite a hot country. You're going to go in the morning or late in the afternoon because the one thing you don't want to do, unless you're English, is to go out in the midday sun. (laughs) And here she comes to get water in the middle of the day. And not only is she coming in the middle of the day, but she comes alone And this tells us massively about other divisions that are in her life because she is rejected. 
Women would come to the well together. It's kind of a job. You've got to do it. We all go together. We help each other. It'd help you get the whole thing on your head. I don't know how anyone ever does that. But anyway, on it would go. They have a good old chin wag, a natter. And also it gave them protection as well. They weren't alone. This woman comes completely alone. And we have to, the writer wants you to ask, why is she alone? Why has she come in the middle of the day? Well, she must have come in the middle of the day because she's got no one who will go with her. And at the moment, we don't know why, but we know that she is an outcast. So there is further rejection there, and there is further division in her life. Not only um, culturally, not only between men and women, but even between women and women, she is segmented off, and she comes in the middle of the day. But what happens? Jesus, this man, says, will you give me a drink? Now, when we look at it, we think, oh, that's nice. Ask her for a drink. You know, because he's sitting there and she's come with all the equipment needed to get into the well. He's, she's got a little kind of uh, bucket that rolls up with her and she's able to let it down. And obviously the other disciples were told they've gone into the village and they took the bucket and now he can't get any drink. And he asked her, but remember, he shouldn't speak to a woman. He shouldn't speak to a Samaritan. It's in the middle of the day. And she rightly says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And I think she's asking this. What do you really want? Because if I was a vulnerable woman, and I'm on my own, and I am completely isolated, and there is no one around, and there is a Jewish man who is my enemy sitting in front of me, I wonder what you're thinking now. Because she's not getting close to that well, I tell you that. What do you want, is what she's asking. Let's read on. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, that's the word, that's another way of saying the Bible, so I'll put that in for you. And who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Mm. Sir, the woman said, you've got nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. Okay, what's she asking now? I wish I knew. (laughs) Doesn't work. Please, can you give me the next thing? No, go back. Try again. No, you can't do it, can you? And try again. The second speech bubble. Stop. Thank you. Whew. Right, I'm giving up on the clicker. She says, who do you think you are? Okay, I'm just translating it to modern day for us all. She says, you've got nothing with you, so how the heck are you going to give me this spring water? Because when she says living water, the word is spring water. Imagine it's bubbling up, bubble, bubble, bubble. They've got a well, dig, 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 but he says, I could give you spring water. She's like, what? You haven't even got a bucket, never mind making that. Are you greater than our father Jacob? And she's 
She's got a bit of feist to her, I think. This is not a woman who's like, are you greater than our father, Jacob? No, she's got a bit of sass because she says, are you greater than our father, Jacob? And the Jews would not have agreed that Jacob was their father of the Samaritans. In fact, everything they say, they throw at them is, you are not proper Jews. Abraham is not your father. Isaac is not your father. Jacob is not your father. And she says, are you greater than our father, Jacob? Our father? So I think she's got a bit of sass here. I like her a lot. (laughs) Okay, next bit, verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And I think here she's saying, next blue bit, please. Yeah, yeah. prove it. Okay, prove it. Come on, you've got this water. Give it to me. Prove it to me. If you think you're all that, give me the water. And he does prove it. But he proves it in a completely different way to the way she thinks he's going to prove it. So let's read on. Verse 16. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. He tells her something that he cannot know. It's impossible for him to know. He might know there's something about her because she's in the middle of the day, but now we get to know why she's in the middle of the day. She's had five husbands. And some people in the past have said, oh, what a terrible woman. Well, let's imagine what it's like to be a woman in this culture. She would have been given to a husband, maybe as an older teen, in marriage. She wouldn't have had any say over it. She's now married to him, and he divorces her. And in this culture, she can't ask for a divorce. Only he can ask for a divorce. He can do whatever he likes, but he is in charge. He owns her, and he has divorced her. And she has to go home in utter shame to her family, to her father's household, because she cannot live independently. She must have a man over her. And she has to admit that she has been divorced. Number one. Then her father finds her another husband, and she is given to him. And this one also divorces her and sends her home, number two. And then she is given to a third man, and this one rejects her and sends her home. And then a fourth one, and then a fifth one. Can you imagine what this is like for this woman? And the sixth one isn't even going to marry her, because who is going to marry a woman who's been rejected five times? And we aren't told why. Maybe it's she can't have children. Because that's a massive deal in this culture. She has to get married, have kids. Her security comes from her husband or her father or her son. And she has been rejected, 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 rejected. And Jesus says, I know. I know. I know everything about you. And at this point, she perks up and goes, 
This guy can prove it. He knows. He is something. And she says, the hottest topic you could possibly get to politically for the Samaritans. And here she goes for it. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Remember, this is a big thing. They destroyed their temple. They went in and defecated their, their temple. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. There's going to be no segregation anymore. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. I'm not going to get into that particularly today, but in the house group notes you can. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's not, he's saying it's not enough just to know about God. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father speaks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said... I know, this is what I know, he talked to us about knowing, that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, a Jew, your enemy, a man, am he. I. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And she believes him. Because he hasn't come in and said, yeah, you're right, you should worship in Jerusalem, da 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 He says a time's coming when none of that's going to matter. And he's looking forward at this moment, we're looking forward to the spirit coming where there's no division between different races or cultures or class or male or female or slave or free. They worship God the same and there's no division between people and God. Okay, we're going on. Just then the disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? In other words, shall we get rid of her? Or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar. And I love this, because it really reminds me of the disciples when it says they left everything and they followed Jesus. She doesn't have much. How much does this woman have? Probably nothing. This water jar is pretty important, and she just leaves it. I think it's significant that says she leaves this. And there'll be lots of other things we could go into about that. The woman went back to the town, the town that's rejected her, the town that doesn't want her, the town that won't speak to her. And she said to the people, Come, see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one that we have been waiting for? The Samaritans were also waiting for a Messiah. They didn't have all the information, but they knew that a Messiah was coming and that he was going to sort it out. He was going to tell them stuff. And they came out of the town. You can imagine them coming because this crazy woman that they've all rejected is so, so excited about the man that she has just met that even though they reject her, they don't have anything to do with her, they're still quite curious. Come see the man who's told me everything. And they made their way towards him. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because the woman's testimony. And we're going to hear some testimonies. In a minute, we're going to hear Hannah and Kat testify about what they know, what they've experienced of Jesus. This woman, she's got this much. This is what she went to tell. And it's not that you know it all, is it? But 
Kat and Hannah will tell a little bit of what they know at the moment. He told them everything I've ever done. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and they stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said now. We have heard for ourselves, and we now know that this man is the saviour of the world. Now, when we hear testimonies from people, sometimes they're family or friends, and they're people we really trust, but we've still got questions to ask. We're still maybe a bit suspicious. We might hear people that maybe we don't get on very well with, or we don't even like, or even offend us, say, oh, I love Jesus, and you're like, hmm, not sure. You might be suspicious like this woman with like, what do you want from me, Jesus? What do you want? Or you must have an alternative. Or you can't really be for me because you're so different to me. What does he really want? You might be asking, is, is Jesus really good? They might have lots of questions. You might have even investigated a little bit yourself. But something holds you back from doing what Jesus asks. He says, ask me and I will give you living water. And what does it say? If you go back to verse 14, because we're going to sit here just to finish off. Um, Verse 14. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. He's talking about thirsting for something, needing something, wanting something. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water. Do you remember that picture of it bubbling up? Bubble, bubble. I think I might have a picture of that. Have I? Next one, maybe. Yeah, oh, thanks. That'll do. (laughs) Go back, maybe. Go back, sorry. (laughs) Okay, bubbling up, bubbling up, bubbling up. So it says, spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, eternal life. We often think of eternal life as, okay, well, you die, and your reward is when you die, you come back to life, and you live forever. Woohoo! But remember, eternal is the adjective here, eternal life. Eternal life is a quality or character of life, the eternal life. And Jesus very handily gives us an explanation of what he means by eternal life, and John records it. And he records it in chapter 17, and I've handily put it up there for you, so you don't need to worry. He says, now this is eternal life. This is that quality of life that I'm offering you, that that, that completeness of life, the character, is to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The eternal life is to know Jesus. The quality that we get in life is from Jesus. And the eternal life is like a permanent thing. It's an immediate thing. It's outside of time. It starts the second that you say, I want the living water. I want that that quality begins and it starts now. It's not about die and that's okay. It starts now. That is the eternal life. And the quality. And secondly, the spring of water. Well, what's that about? What is it, the spring of water? What is that? Well, again, John very handily tells us. He's really good like this. Um, he tells us in chapter 7, and I don't have that on the screen, but if you turn over the page or two, you get to 7, 
38, or just before. Halfway through seven, it starts with the word let. And this is Jesus' words, and he's talking again about the living water. Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. We talked about that a minute ago. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So here, he equates the, the living water is the spirit, And when we ask for the living water, the living water comes, and then the spirit comes, and then we experience that quality of life that we've all wanted and been desperate for. Now, what about this? Because there's another place in the Old Testament where it speaks about this. Can we have the next slide? This is our final bit for today. And in it, God's talking to his people. And he's talking about this living water. And he says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me. And I want to just use the word rejected here. Because remember, all those things we've experienced are about rejection. They're about segmenting off. They're about putting people in another box. And he says, your sin is basically you have rejected me me. You've rejected me, the spring of living water, the source of life, the source of the Holy Spirit, the source of completeness. And you have dug your own cisterns or wells, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Well, what do I mean? Well, we're created for this relationship with God It's the Holy Spirit that means, you know when he talked about being thirsty, that you're no longer thirsty when you've got contentment. But we look for contentment all over the place. Maybe it's stuff, maybe it's houses, or if I just get an extension, or if I um, just get a new bathroom or a new kitchen, I'll feel content. Or if I just get a new job, or if I get successful, I will feel content. Or if I can improve my relationships with loved ones, if I can just get approval from my parents or my family, if they can just tell me, you've done really well, you're good enough, then I'll feel this contentment. But we know that although these things are great and they give us a certain amount of contentment and filling up, we still don't feel full. People who are massively successful in the world, who've made millions, will still stand there and say, I got to the top and I realized it didn't fulfill me. It didn't give me what I needed. It didn't fill me up. And in our life, we feel rejection, we feel loss, we feel sometimes like there's something missing that we're a bit empty still. But Jesus invites us simply to ask him, give me the living water, give me you, because I want that quality of life that means whether I have millions of pounds or not a penny to my name, I know I have the most important thing. So let's pray. And then we'll baptize.